You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Revealing the Father, Part 7. Enjoy. We're in a series right now called Revealing the Father. Your whole life will change when you get a clear picture in your heart of how much God loves you. Your whole life will change. There are uh, past hurts that will melt away when you realize how much he loves you. There are past offenses and pains and things and loss that will melt away in the light of his love for you. He really is the answer to every issue that we have. Knowing him more. Realizing more how much he loves you. We say God loves us, but we really need to know the depths of that. And that's why we're here. We're going we're gonna to mine the depths of his love for us. We're going deeper every week. So God wants people to know this amazing love. He wants people to know and to be sure and to be certain, not only of how much he loves them, but how good he is, of his goodness. He wants you to walk through life with absolute certainty with an unshakable confidence in his love for you, that he is working on your behalf, that he is going before you and making the crooked places straight, whatever season of life you're in. Jesus exampled for us what it's like to go through life with an unshakable confidence in God as Father. So as disciples of Christ, we look to Jesus and we imitate him. But not his external appearance, the internal attitude of his heart. We imitate the heart of Jesus. So last week we looked a little bit at Philippians 2. Let's go back there to Philippians 2. Let's look at the heart attitude of Jesus. Let's get some more Jesus. We want more Jesus. Philippians 2.5 says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. I like the way that says it. That's the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Make your own attitude because that lets me know it's a decision that I have to make regularly, right? I have to choose to imitate him. I have to choose to let the attitude of my heart reflect his love, right? No one else can do this for me. So just like your car needs an oil change, we need an attitude change, right? And when it's time for an oil change, now that the vehicles have a little light that bugs me to no end that comes on your dashboard (laughs) telling you an oil change, right? It used to be where you had to keep track of that yourself, right? I still do that. (laughs) Yeah, it says get an oil change, get an oil change. Well, how do you know when you need an attitude change? You're getting frustrated, People are irritated. You're getting irritated by what other people do. You're easily discouraged. You're afraid. You're unsure of your future. It's just need an attitude change. You need to realize, wait a minute, God loves me. God created me fearfully and wonderfully, and he has a purpose for my life. And he is for me, and he's going to see me all the way through to the end. He's going to cause me to prosper and to be in health for the rest of my life because, for the rest of my life because his love is that strong. Amen. It's an attitude change. Jesus was so conscious of the love his father had for him that he could love anybody. Isn't that amazing? Let's read that in the Amplified, verse 5. Now, here it is. Here, this is the, 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 the foundation for our attitudes. It says, let this same attitude and purpose. See, your attitude grows out of your purpose. If you have a, a, a bad attitude, your per- check your purpose. Why are you getting up in the morning? Really? Why am I? To, to make ends meet? to try and get a better job, to try and make enough money to to pay off certain things, to maybe try and live the American dream and maybe get married someday and have a nice house. That's not going to work. That's not a strong enough purpose. That's not deep enough. 
That's not powerful enough to give you the strength to overcome stuff that might come your way. What was Jesus' purpose? To know the Father, to please the Father. What's our purpose? Same. Right? To know the Father more, to know him more intimately, to experience more of his love, power, and glory every day of our lives. More tomorrow than I do today. That's our purpose. And when that becomes your purpose, your attitude automatically begins to change. Things that used to bother you won't bother you anymore. Because you'll see there's, there's a whole lot more to life than what so-and-so said about me. There's a whole lot more to life than, than what might be currently in my checking account. Right? Or what's currently going on, my circumstances. There's a greater reality than what I'm sensing with my five senses right now. There's a deeper truth. And that's my divine destiny. Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility. We gave you a definition of humility. I don't know if you remember it. We'll say it again. Humility is making God's priorities your own. Making the Father's priorities your own. That's my own definition, but I like it, so I'll give it to you. (laughs) You won't find that in Webster. Let's look at verse 7. This is what Jesus did. Remember, we're making our attitude like his, right? So our focus when we get up in the morning is Jesus, his attitude, his faith, his victory, his love, his joy, his peace. He stripped himself of all privileges and rightful dignity. Wow. So as to assume the guise of a servant, a slave, in that he became like men and was born a human being. That's in the Bible. We just read it, right? And I say that because I have mentioned in this series several times, it's important to understand that Jesus, when he came to earth, came as a man. Yes, he was God, but he was a man. All God and all man. I don't quite get that intellectually but in my heart i believe it why is that important because if you think jesus did what he did because he was god you're going to miss out on the power available to you jesus did what he did listen god was never born a baby god has no beginning and no end jesus literally emptied himself of his godliness and came to earth this is a hot theological debate but we're not interested in debating. We, we want a more Jesus, right? There are, there, are, there are clear truths in the Bible that people argue over. I, I don't want to waste my time. I want more Jesus, right? In fact, if he didn't come as a man, we're in trouble. God could not redeem us himself because God never sinned. It had to be a man to redeem us. Is this okay? We're not being blasphemous. We're not being disrespectful or irreverent. We're acknowledging the plan of God. He came as a man. He had flesh and blood just like you and me, but he was born of the Holy Spirit in a virgin's womb, which is different than us. But we are born again of the Holy Spirit, right? Of the seed of God, his word. So very important to understand this. And when I realize that and I'm reading the Gospels and Acts, now that inspires me to do what he did. That's why Jesus said, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He'll do even greater things than these. So remember, Jesus came as, not as an example for us, but of us. Big difference. Religion can't handle that. Religion says, blasphemy. No. This is the reality of who we were meant to be. We're God's sons and daughters in the earth. He was the firstborn, but he wasn't the lastborn. Firstborn from among the dead, we've been risen with him. We've been seated with him. Am I making this up? Do you know your Bible? Is this what it says? Is this what the New Testament declares? You've got to know this for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Verse 8, and after he had appeared in what? Human form. There's a, a group of believers that John was writing to in 1 John that believed that Jesus was almost in human form. 
that he looked human, but he kind of like floated above the ground like a teeny little bit. He wasn't all the way human. If he wasn't all the way human, then we can't have an all the way redemption. He appeared in human form. He had to do this because we needed a man to redeem us because the first man fell. We needed a new Adam to take his place, and he did it. He appeared in human form. He abased and humbled himself still further and became, excuse me, and, uh, and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, because he stooped so low, go to the next verse, verse 9. I like that. Because he stooped so low, God has highly exalted him and has freely, it's God's pleasure and joy, to bless his kids, freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name. What would motivate Jesus to do such a thing? Completely empty himself of all of his glory and go still further and humiliate himself and be scourged and accused of things he never did, publicly shamed and tortured. He knew how good his father was. The love of the father will motivate you like nothing else. Not your love for him, his love for you. Jesus knew how much his father loved him. And boy, in the presence of that love, it's like you want to do anything for that, for the one who loves you that way. So, okay, sure. I, I, yeah, what else can I do for you? No one loves me like you do. No one cares for me like you do. No one thinks about me like you do. I give my whole self to you because you love me perfectly. So we make this attitude of Jesus our own, and that makes us live differently. We don't get mad like other people get mad. We don't get caught up in the social media hot topics of the day and the political issues that make others want to fight and holler. No, we're all set. We've got love and joy and peace. And we can say what we believe without hatred, without anger and malice. We can say, we can say what we believe with love and joy and peace, right? It's so good to know how much God loves you. It diffuses the wick, doesn't it? It puts the wick out on the bomb. Let's look some more at Jesus. I just can't get enough of Jesus. Never get enough of your love, Jesus. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. This same attitude, this same purpose. Luke chapter 2. Now, we, looked, we went here a little bit last week to verse 49. We're going to look at a few more verses this week, go a little deeper. But just to give you some background, if you weren't here, Luke chapter 2 gives us insight into the boyhood life of Jesus. It's the only place we see that. And I love it. It's, 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 it, it gives us uh, an understanding of his heart that is invaluable. So his parents, we know Jesus' dad was a carpenter, right? I think he worked for Home Depot. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but he was a carpenter, but he would take his family every year to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And the family probably consisted of extended family and friends, a large group, would travel to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. So they go up, and then they return, and maybe his dad and mom were thinking about the projects they had going on and, you know, the different things they had to get done, and we got to get back home. And they were so, uh, their focus was on, a, on, a, on something other than what God was doing. And as a result, they didn't realize their son wasn't with them. He was 12 years old. And it took them three days to find him. And church was the last place they looked for him. Should have been the first, right? You'll find answers here. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, in church. But look what he was doing. He's sitting in the midst that he's 12 years old. His family's already left. But he had a higher priority in his heart. 
even though my, my family's going back home, there's something I want to know about the Father. So he's sitting in church in the midst of the teachers. I want you to remember this word hearing, both hearing them. We want to see how important that word hearing is. And asking them questions. Twelve years old. He was learning God's destiny for his life. What do you mean, Jesus? Didn't he get, wasn't he born knowing that? No. You're going to see that in just a moment. Well, let's look at verse 52, just so you don't throw any stones at me here. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. What? I thought God was perfect wisdom. He is. God's never learned anything. Think about that. He's never once learned anything. And he never will. He's always known everything about everything. He's never once used Google. He doesn't have a smartphone. He doesn't need Siri. So what does it mean, Jesus increased? This is the man, Jesus. What do we read in Philippians? He became a human being. Listen closely. Jesus had to learn his destiny just like you and I do. By coming to church and hearing the goodness of God. Hearing the message of who Jesus is, who God is, what he's done for us, and who you are in him. He had to do it. He had to do it. There sure is a great hope, an unshakable hope. Amen. Now look at verse 49. So mom and dad are upset. You know, maybe he got grounded or something. Or a timeout. I don't know. <laughs> and he said, son, why have you done this to us? And he says to them, he's not being disrespectful. His heart is, is so focused on his father's priorities, he doesn't understand why they're not doing that. They could have done the same thing. They had projects and stuff going on, but maybe the father's destiny sh should have been more important to mom and dad. Maybe the projects they had at home weren't as important as what God was trying to say to them about their son and about their lives. What did they miss by going back to their projects, I wonder? What did they miss by not choosing to be in the place of hearing? So he says to them, why did you seek me? I love that. Did you not know that I must be? I have made a decision that there are no other options for my life. This is Jesus talking. Make this attitude yours. I must be about my father's business. Wow. Love that heart. Don't you love that heart attitude? Literally, put that literal. I don't, did you put that literal one up there? Yeah. You can read this literally this way. I must be involved in my father's interests. <laughs> he didn't have to be. He made a decision that he must be. No one forced him to do this. You got to know that Jesus had free will. Oh boy, the religious police are really going to get me now. Do you know Jesus was tempted in every way? If he didn't have free will, we couldn't be redeemed. He had to choose to follow God, even at age 12. Right? His friends may have been doing some other things. Come on, Jesus. The game's on tonight, or whatever. Let's play Xbox. Come on. No, I can't do Xbox right now. I must be in the things of my father. So what is the father's interest? Stocks? Politics? Facebook? What's the father's business? Wholeness. He wants men and women of all ages to be whole. 
It's called salvation. He wants people to be whole and to be in a vibrant, life-producing relationship with him. So let's read about the Father's business because we must be about it because we've made our attitude like that of Jesus, right? John 3.16 talks about the Father's business. And it's so good. For God so loved, right? Loved the world. Think about that for a moment. God so loved the world. So we do the same, right? We love the world. Not darkness, not confusion, but people, right? We love people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He asked him to become a man and to empty himself and come to earth as a baby and to, to do things the way man had to do them. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You've got your can of dereligification spray? We got to dereligify those two words there eternal life. Let's do it. What does that mean, eternal life? Not talking about going to heaven. New. What does eternal life mean? Let's not make up our own definition. Let's let Jesus define it for us. It's in John 17, 3. We won't go there, but you can look at it. He said, this is eternal life, that they might know you. That's a, that's a husband and wife knowing. That's a, and this is eternal life, that they might become one with you, that they might be intimate with you. That's what eternal life is. So God gave his one and only son that whoever, doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what they've done, if they'll simply put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will enter into a unity, a oneness, an intimacy with God as their Father. That's eternal life. Sure, you'll go to heaven if you're united with God, but that's not what eternal life is. Eternal life is a quality of life, not a place we're trying to get to someday. You have to de-religify these terms because religion has defined eternal life as, oh, that must be heaven, going to heaven. But it's not. Right? Let Jesus define truth for you. So this is, this is the heart of God. He wants people to be united with him, for their spirits to be joined to him. He wants to be their father. Verse 17, for God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world. So we don't do that, do we? People should not feel like we're judging them when they're around us. Like we're rejecting or condemning them because of their lifestyle. Why? Because God didn't do that with Jesus. He didn't send Jesus to do that, and we're making our attitude the same as his. But that the world might find salvation, this is the Amplified, and be made safe and sound through him. Wait a minute, what's this safe and sound stuff? You know what the word sound means? It means to be free from defect, decay, or damage. To, to, be, to have a wholeness that's deep and unbroken, to have an unshakable well-being that's thorough, complete, and perfect. What's that word salvation? You know what the Greek word is there? It's the word sozo. Get your can out, dereligification spray. Shake it, all right. What does salvation in English or saved mean in Greek? Wholeness. Spirit, soul, and body. Wholeness. That's what it means. I know religion has robbed people of that knowledge, but we're here to give it back to you. God wants you whole today. Spirit, soul, and body. That's what salvation is. Salvation is not going to heaven. That's a part of it. It's wholeness today. Right now, here. Salvation includes going to heaven, but Jesus came to bring wholeness into the earth today. Wouldn't it be wonderful if churches preached this? Some do. 
but not enough. If church stopped putting God off into the future and said the kingdom of God is here now. We say what Jesus said. Didn't he say that? Well, we're getting into some good stuff now. Your religious goggles are off, right? How about those religious earbuds? You took them out. All right, here we go. Let's get some more Jesus. Is this okay? Let's look at the the interests of the Father some more. The Father's business, Acts 10.38. Boy, this is so good. I love you, Jesus. You're great. You set us free. You've delivered us. Your spirit's inside of us. There's no distance between us and you anymore. And nothing can separate us from your love. Acts 10.38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth. Why does it say Jesus of Nazareth? Talking about the man. God didn't live in Nazareth. He's in heaven. Yes, Jesus is God. Hear what I'm saying. He came as a man. Jesus of Nazareth, the human being Jesus. Our example. Our prototype, right? How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, do you get another Holy Spirit or the same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus? There's only one. The same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus is living in you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. But you have to know that. You have to believe that. You have to be sure and certain of that. Or you'll never experience the level of life, the quality of life he longs to give you. And with power, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you've got the same power that Jesus had. And how he went about doing what? Ah. So simple. Doing good and what? Healing all who were oppressed by who? Wow. Isn't it so simple? For God was with him. So what is God for? Doing good and healing all. What's the Father's business? Doing good. And healing all. Come on, what's the Father's business? Doing good and healing all. What's the devil's business? Oppression. Sickness. Poverty. Lack. Destruction. Tragedy. Keep your seatbelts on. The Father's business. 1 John 3, 8. 1 John 3, 8. Let's look at the the latter part of that. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. Why? Because he was about the Father's business. What's the Father's business? To destroy the works of the devil. What's our business? To destroy the works of the devil. To go about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil. Now hold on. Let's, let's, let's make sure we understand how good God is. So at age 12, Jesus is hearing the scriptures. Now at that time, it was the Old Testament, right? The New Testament obviously had not been written yet. But Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament. The the divine revelation of the Messiah is in the Old Testament, right? So he's hearing and learning from the Word of God, from the messages that are being preached, God's destiny for his life. And he knew that if he was going to destroy the works of the devil, he had to know personally the Word of God. Remember, was it the sons of Sceva in Acts? They saw Paul doing what Jesus did, and they wanted to do it. So they just went and tried it, and they got their heinies kicked, right? Because they didn't know the goodness of God. They didn't know who they were in Christ. They didn't know the, the, the plan and purpose of God in the Scriptures. This is about being sure and certain. 
being sure and certain. Now, we're going to read something. It must be read. It's in Matthew chapter 12 because we're about the Father's business. And I'm going to read it from Jesus so you don't think I'm making it up. But before I read it, just let me say this. Your whole life will change when you realize God is all good and the devil is all bad. Religion confuses this. But the truth is God is completely good. All good, all the time, forever. And Satan is all bad, all the time, forever. Now he's not, uh, he had a beginning, Lucifer, right? There was a time when he wasn't bad. But he, he, his heart became corrupt. And he's bad now and that's never going to change. We could say it like this. God never does anything bad. Satan never does anything good. Don't get mad. Just listen. We're going to see Jesus make us as clear as day. God never does anything bad. Satan never does anything good. Why is this so important? Because so many have been taught, and there are religious doctrines out there in Christian churches, and maybe in an effort to try and explain tragedies. Or to try and comfort someone, which doesn't comfort them at all. There are ministers who tell people that God brought that tragedy into your life. Or God allowed that to happen because he had some divine purpose in it. And there is not one stitch of truth in that. God does not allow. He does not cause nor does he allow bad things to happen. Stay with me on this. Don't turn it off. Facebook, how you doing? Good to see you this morning. God loves you so much. I didn't see you standing there. But God loves you. He really does. He loves you. Stay with me. So what people have done is they've wrongly defined God's sovereignty. Stay with me. What, some defi- what does the word sovereign mean? It means above all. God is sovereign. He is above all. But what, what the enemy has done, he's introduced philosophies into churches, and people have defined God's sovereignty, meaning that he's controlling everything. That is scripturally wrong. That is as wrong as wrong can be. God is not controlling everything in the earth. I'm not taking away from his sovereignty by saying that. I'm acknowledging his sovereignty and his sovereign plan. Stay with me. We're going to see Jesus say this so clearly. God's sovereign plan was he made man in his image, didn't he? Adam and Eve, male and female, made in the image of God, and he gave them authority over the entire earth. That was his sovereign plan. But he made them in his image. They were free to do whatever they wanted. They had free will, and in their free will, they chose to worship Satan. They put their faith in the words of Satan. They acted on his words, and when they did that, Romans 5, 17, I forget if it's the weast or the... uh, Philip's translation says uh, that, that, that Satan seized the sovereignty. He stole the authority over the earth that God gave to man. Satan became the ruler of planet earth. Stay with me. We're going to read this from Jesus. Jesus calls the planet earth Satan's house. This might rock your religious world, but it needs to be rocked if you don't understand this. Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. He did. Read it. That's a a strong statement. Paul called him the God of this world. That's why all the garbage is going on in planet earth. Not because God is allowing it. God gave authority to man and, and, and Satan stole that through sin. Satan is the thief. Now look what Jesus says. I love how he says this. So the Pharisees are accusing Jesus. Because what's he doing? Going about doing good, 
healing all who are oppressed to the devil, destroying the works of the devil, and the religious experts are mad about it because they know the scriptures. Still the same today. They get mad at people like me for saying what I'm saying, but it's true anyway. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons. They're talking about Jesus, okay? This, this Jesus of Nazareth, he doesn't cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons, Satan. What an accusation. I mean, they couldn't be more wrong, right? Right? <laughs> I mean, right? But they're, they're convinced. He's making them look bad, isn't he? But Jesus knew their thoughts. Go to the next verse. I want to show you something here. How did Jesus know their thoughts? Jesus was not, listen, don't, right? Jesus was not omniscient as a man. <laughs> this was the gift of knowledge, a spiritual gift. First Corinthians, a word of knowledge operating in his life. You can tell Jesus was omniscient. There are times that his ministry, someone touched him, and he said, who touched me? The woman who got healed, remember? He didn't know who touched him. You'll see Jesus operating as a man if you read the Gospels with your religious goggles off. Okay? So here's a gift of the Spirit operating in Jesus' life, and the, the Holy Spirit revealed to them what they were thinking, to him what they were thinking. You see that? See, this changes, just changes our understanding of the scriptures. Uh, this changes our, our perspective on who we are. Because why? The Holy Spirit's in you, and he will give you words of knowledge in situations when you need it. He'll reveal things. Maybe, I don't know what it was, but he'll reveal to you what you need to know to go forward in his plan for your life. It's supernatural. And said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Verse 26. If Satan cast out Satan, which is what they're accusing him of, right? He is divided against himself. Can't happen. Doesn't work. How then will his... What does he say? His what? Where was Jesus when he was saying this? On planet Earth. Jesus knew that the Earth was Satan's kingdom. Many believers don't know this and would get mad at me for saying so. And that's why they're so confused. Why does this happen? Why does this happen? Well, it must be some divine plan. No, it's not. We're in the, we're in the devil's kingdom now. How then will his kingdom stand? Verse... 27, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? <laughs> Therefore, they shall be your judges. Verse 28, now here it is, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely, now we're seeing a clash of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God has come into the kingdom of Satan. Man, this is good. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Where were they? Planet Earth. This wasn't in heaven, right? Jesus came into the earth to bring the kingdom of God back into the earth. In the midst of Satan's kingdom. Wow. And here's the verse I wanted to get to. Verse 29. Look what Jesus says about planet Earth. How can one enter a strong man's house? What was Jesus doing? Delivering people, pulling them out of darkness, healing, setting them free. Where's the strong man's house? Earth. Who's the man who entered Earth? Jesus. He entered into the strong man's house. He came to Earth and he plundered his goods. Who? Satan. What were Satan's good? People that were oppressed. People that were sick. People that were uh, possessed. Unless he first binds the strong man. Who's the strong man? Satan. Are you seeing this? 
keeping this in the context of the accusations and what he was doing, and then he will plunder his house. What's the father's business? To plunder the kingdom of Satan. To plunder Satan's house. And that's what we're doing. We're plundering his house. It's messages like this that will set you free. When you realize, wait a minute, I'm on enemy territory, but I'm going to walk in the authority of my father. I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven into the strong man's house, and I'm taking back his goods. Hallelujah. He sure has. I got mad when I started learning this stuff. I said, Satan, you're not going to steal from me anymore. Wholeness belongs to me. Love and joy and peace. Health belongs to me. If God is controlling everything, why would we need to pray? You really need to take these philosophies and think them out. So if God's controlling everything that happens, it really doesn't matter what I do. Right? Why do I have to pray? Why do I have to believe in Jesus? Well, God's controlling everything. He'll get me to heaven some way then, won't he? Why do I have to pray? Why do I have to follow him? Why do I have to renew my mind? Why do I have to read the Bible? Why do I have to have faith? God's controlling everything. You see how silly that philosophy is? If you just honestly take a look at it. Just take an honest look at what's really being said. God is controlling everything? Really? Okay, then. Then I'll just do whatever I want, and he'll, 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 he'll take care of it. That's chaos. If God is controlling everything, we have a very confused God. We have a God that's not all good. But that's not true. This is so important to understand. And this is probably one of the biggest uh, doctrines that needs to be dismantled in the body of Christ. So we're not trying to cope with the tragedies we've been through by saying God did it. That's a false coping. It doesn't set you free. In fact, it'll, it'll put you in some, uh, a spiritual fog for the rest of your life if you don't realize the truth. And then how do you know what to pray for? How do you know what to rebuke and what to accept? Jesus clearly demonstrated to us what God is about. I'm going to go with him. So if Jesus is rebuking sickness... He's rebuking uh, deafness and blindness and and making the maimed whole. If his father caused that, then God's kingdom cannot stand. And there's no danger of that. Isn't that what Jesus just said? Right? If I'm doing these things and you're saying my father is Satan or you're saying my father is God, if, if, if I'm rebuking my father, his kingdom can't stand. And then people say, well, maybe God made those people sick so Jesus could prove who he was. How twisted can you get? What kind of psycho is God? God doesn't, he doesn't play mental games with us. He's all good all the time. He doesn't do something twisted to try and prove himself. He never has to prove himself. He's God. He's good all the time. Don't listen to this kind of stuff. God doesn't make people sick so he can heal them. Would you do that to your child? I hope not. Never. Never. I would never even have the thought of doing that to my child. And I'm just a man. Isn't this what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 11? If you would never do such things, give your son a serpent or a snake when he asks for bread. How much more will your heavenly father give what is good to those who ask you? It's time to know the goodness of God. It's time for your heart to be sure and certain of how good he is and how much he loves you and of what he's done for you through his son. Hallelujah. Luke 2.49, put that up there in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. This is the father's business. So he said, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Another way of saying, where was he when he said that? He was in the temple, Right? So we see Satan, the, the, the earth being the strong man's house, but the church being the father's house. Oh, this is really good. 
I love what the Holy Spirit's doing. I'm so glad you're here. Because we are going all the way. We're going all the way. Ain't no stopping us now. Yeah. Woo. Holy Spirit is revealing Christ to us. I love this. Woo. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? So Satan, the strong man's house is earth, but the church is God's house. Wow. Woo. This is like uh, the impossible mission force. You ever see that 60s show, uh, Mission Impossible? Woo, I like it. Nothing is impossible with God. So why would Jesus make such a priority of being in church? Now, I want you to kind of step away from your church experiences, okay? Because we've all had different ones. And I know we've had some good ones and we've had some challenging ones, right? But let's forget about all that for now, okay? So Jesus is saying being in the, in, in the temple, in the church, it was a necessity, a priority to him. Why? Why are you here this morning? What's wrong with you? You can be on a boat somewhere or, or at Foxwoods, you know, or something. I don't know. Are they open on Sunday morning? I don't know. Probably not. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but what, really, what, what's the deal? You know? Listen, when I, now what we say at Highway Church, we say we don't go to church anymore. We became the church. We put our faith in Christ. But we regularly assemble publicly and in homes, like Acts, right? The, you'll see all throughout the scriptures the public corporate gathering of God's people for the preaching of his word. Why? You are here, yes, to worship God. In Acts, they came to worship him, to worship him with their offerings. And you are here to be equipped to fulfill your destiny. How? By learning to live by faith. There's lots of ways you can exist on this planet, but there's only one way to truly live. It's by faith. Now, wait a minute. Get out your can of dereligification spray. Shake it. That word faith. Let's spray the word faith. The world says faith is your religious affiliation. That's not what faith is. What is Bible faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So faith, we, wanna, we are to live by being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We're going to break this down. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Are you still awake? We're doing all right? We've got some more time. Good, good, good. you got to get all the Jesus you can while we're here. It's going to be a great week, great day. So we're, we're, we come to worship God and to, to grow in our confidence of God. So that when tomorrow comes, we get up sure and certain of his goodness, of his love for us, and of his plan for our lives. So that we can plunder the strong man's house. You can't do that when you're not sure. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. I'm just having fun with the Holy Spirit right now. I'll tell you, this is so much fun. I just... Feel the Holy Spirit opening Hallelujah. hearts and ministering to people. I love this. For I'm not ashamed. Oh, dereligification spray. The word gospel. Let's spray that one too. What's that mean? Good news. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ, that God's all good and the devil's all bad. I'm not going to hide that. I'm going to proclaim it. I'm not going to pacify the Pharisees. I'm letting everybody know. God's all good. And the devil's all bad. I'm not ashamed of that. Why would you be ashamed of that? Set you free. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ. For it 
is the power of God. If you don't know how good God is, you'll never be free. It's the power that will set you free from anything that binds you. It's the power of God to, remember, salvation, wholeness. It's the power of God to wholeness that brings you into wholeness for everyone who, faith, right? For the Jew first and also for the Greek, verse 17. For in it, what? The good news that God is all good, the devil's all bad. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So you can have levels of faith. You can grow in your faith. As it is written, the just, God's sons and daughters, live by this stuff. Live by being sure and certain of the goodness of God. The just shall live by being sure and certain of the goodness of God. But we need someone to encourage us in this. Because we're living in a material world. The only way to experience God consistently is by faith. It's the only way. Why? Because God is a spirit. And there's a spirit realm. And I know that might sound spooky or hocus pocus, but it's not. It's reality. Where we have a material, a mortal body, but you're a spirit living in a mortal body. And we're, we're, we're in a material realm, but the spirit realm is where the life and power is. And it's faith being sure and certain of the goodness of God that takes what God has already done for me through Christ and brings it from the spirit realm into the material realm. That's how it works. It's the only thing that will do it. It's a, it's a heart that is sure and certain of how good he is. Now, we don't have to go there, but Ephesians 3.8 says that we're saved by grace, right? We're saved by grace through faith. So what is grace? Grace is all the Father has done for you through his Son, Jesus Christ. That's what grace is. Everything God has done for you uh, what is it, Ephesians chapter 1, that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Spiritual blessing. What does that mean? It's in the realm of the Spirit. I'm talking about heaven. Yes, heaven's in the realm of the Spirit. But the blessings God has for you are, are, are already there. They're already there, but you can't see them with your peepers. Jeepers, creepers. Where'd you get those peepers? What's that from? I don't know how these songs go. Was that a sunglass commercial or a sunglasses commercial? Judy Garland. Judy Garland. Okay, all right. Yeah, Jeepers Creepers. Where'd you get those peepers? So everything God has already done for you through Christ is in the spirit realm. But when you hear messages like you're hearing now, faith starts to come alive in your heart. You become sure and certain of it and you grab a hold of it and you bring it into the material realm. You're already healed. It's already been provided for you. It might not look like it or feel like it, but you are. That's why First Peter says by his stripes we have been healed. You say, I don't feel like I look at it. Stop looking at the material body and start looking at the Word of God, what Christ has done for you, and let that become your reality. See, you have to, I think it was this, this get-together we talked about it, where you meditate on the promises of God. You grab the Scriptures and you meditate on them until it becomes stronger in you than the symptoms you're facing or the circumstances you're facing. You, you, and if it's not stronger, you keep meditating on it. 
until, and it will guarantee you it will. If you'll keep it before you, if you'll put it in your mouth and you'll say it, Jesus himself bore my sicknesses and carried my diseases and with the stripes that wounded Jesus, I have been healed. Not once, but if you'll say it and keep saying it, there will come a point in time where that becomes stronger in you than the way you feel. And when that happens, the healing that's already yours will manifest in your body. But some stop way short. I know for me personally, when I first learned this back in the mid-90s, it took a good four to six months of hearing this and studying in the scriptures before the healing manifested in my body. I'm glad I didn't quit. I'm so glad that I stuck with it. There's a spiritual reality. It's life abundantly. It's this God life that he has for you, and it's yours, but it can only be obtained and enjoyed by being sure and certain. So we're here to grow in our faith, to experience God more. Jesus did this. I'll give you a couple more, and then we'll be done. Isaiah 11. Make your attitude as a, look how Jesus, he lived by faith. Jesus of Nazareth we're talking about. He did, he lived by faith. This is prophetic in Isaiah, talking about Jesus. It says, Jesus will delight in the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? It's this awesome reverence. It's like, Lord, you, I can't be without you. It's not being afraid he's going to hurt you. It's an it's a affectionate, loving reverence. He will not judge. This is Jesus. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Isn't that cool? Or decide by what he hears with his ears. That's how Jesus lived. He didn't use his five senses to decide what to do. He didn't operate that way. He, he heard God's word and he acted on it. He studied and meditated in the word of God and made his decisions based on what his father said. One more and then we'll be done. So how does faith come? It's a good question. Where do I, you have faith in you, but what brings it alive? God's already given you faith. Listen closely. It doesn't come through prayer. You can pray seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and have zippo faith. It doesn't come through lighting candles. Doesn't come through fasting. All kinds of things people do to try and get faith. Let's not guess how it comes. Let's see what God says. Can we do that? Save yourself a lot of time just by reading the scriptures. A lot of heartache. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from extended fasting. Faith comes from lighting 72 candles. Faith comes from praying all night. No. Faith comes from hearing. Very important. That word is in the present tense, hearing. It doesn't say faith comes from having heard. It doesn't come from having heard. It comes from a state of mind where you're listening regularly. On my little phone here, my happy little phone, I've got this little podcast app. And you open and you see all the podcasts I've got. Let me go into my library here. Yeah, I've got Andrew Walmack on there, Bill Winston. Um, I've got all kinds of stuff. Joseph Prince, Highway Church. Yeah. Why do I have it? And, and it's, a, it's free. This stuff's free. This is the reason I have a phone. Not kidding. So I can hear and hear and keep on hearing. That's how faith comes. That's why being in a church like this where you're hearing the goodness of God is vital to fulfilling your destiny. That's why we started this place. Because it's not easy to find a church like this. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing what? The news? <laughs> hearing. Now this is how you might have a translation that says hearing by the word of God. That's wrong. 
Not by hearing the word of God. The Greek says Christos. Why is that important? Christos, Christ. Hearing, one translation says, hearing the word concerning Christ. Jesus is the answer. You need to hear three things about Jesus. Who he is. Come on. What he's already done for you. And who you are in him. Faith comes when you regularly hear those things. Father, thank you for this time together. What a party this is. It's a Holy Ghost party and it just doesn't stop. Thank you, Lord. We love you and praise you. Thank you for revealing Christ to us this morning. Lord, help us to hear, to to purpose to hear the words concerning your Son. The Christos words of who He is, what He's done for us, and who we are in Him. Lord, that we would plunder the strong man's house to fulfill Your destiny for our lives in Jesus' name. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.